Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back everybody to the Almost Sideways Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 132. Uh, we're recording Sunday, June 27th, 2021 at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And you can tell something a little different today. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz, but Todd's in the same room. Hey! So if you're watching us on uh, on YouTube, it, it looks different. If you're wa- If you're listening to us on the podcast, you have no clue that anything is different, hopefully. How's it going, Zach? Oh, it's going great. I feel like I'm uh, at Frass Canyon or something. Where are you guys serving today? <laughs> yeah, we're we're we're, just, we're sitting behind the bar. Yeah. And you're Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You 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 must have missed the invitation to come to come out for this uh this one. That's okay. I feel like you guys can have some of the triple degree heat that we sometimes get here. I'm enjoying my 75 degrees today and overcast. Uh, but, uh, you know, how, how, how's it going with you? How's the sweat? How's it feel? I, I love the warm weather. Like in, anything over 90 is like totally fine with me. It reminds me of the desert, which obviously reminds me of Vegas and I love Vegas. <laughs> it is currently here. What? 90, 95. Oh, I, I, I'm in federal way. If you're wondering, that's, that's how, that's how we're doing this. But in, uh, in Cornelius, it's 107 right now. Yeah, that 95 is pretty tame. I think in Eugene, it's like 111 or 112. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts down in Oregon. I love how, like, there was zero national news about it. I, it, I mean, like, everyone talks about West Coast bias. Zero coverage about it. There was more coverage about a hurricane that didn't happen in Florida than there was about the heat wave in the Northwest. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh let's get going on this. Um, make sure that you are subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the internet, wherever you can find us. Uh, if you are on YouTube, obviously you know you can find us on YouTube. Uh, but our podcast, the audio is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, kind of wherever you can find podcasts, you will find almost sideways. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. And then do all the YouTube stuff, whatever that is. I don't even know. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, you'll be able to, to hear us. You'll be able to see us, and all that fun stuff. All right, so let's let's go around now. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having some Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. In fact, it might be the same bottle as last week. <laughs> same mm, make and model. T- tastes a week old too. Delicious. Is that one that uh, that uh, that uh, improves with age? Exactly. It gets better with age, just like Vin Diesel. It's... <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. All right, Todd, what do you got? Uh, well, since I have the lovely The World Is Not Enough poster behind me, I am drinking a martini shaken, not stirred, because, you know, 
we may be talking about a movie that is sort of like a Bond movie, and we may be talking about uh, something where I don't know. I mean, Bond. N- nobody orders a drink like Bond, and this is what he orders. So what the what the hell, man? This is not, I don't think No Time to Die has come out yet. Were were we supposed to watch that this week? I don't know. I mean, maybe you didn't watch the right movie. <laughs> I watched but the wrong downfall if, if, again. Yeah, Bond would... Yeah, I don't know. Or our power <laughs> rankings relates to it, too. Whatever. The, the wrong downfall again. That, that was that was good times right there. That was good times. Wait, wasn't de- it was Deadfall. 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 Yeah, the wrong downfall. The wrong Hitler bunker uh, yeah, movie <laughs> with Bruno Gans. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I, I am in Washington, but before I came up here, I did, I did get my, my Ridgewalker growler filled. So I've got some Ridgewalker beer from Forest Grove, Oregon, here in Federal Way, Washington. This is their brand new Cycle Light Cream Ale. So, uh, so that's what I'm drinking. In a nice Concordia pint glass, so R.I.P. there. R.I.P. All right. Well, let's see here. What have we been watching this week? We are going to start with Zach and his Criterion Watch. I think you're just going to start with me with everything, right? Because it, it doesn't mean, you know, well, let's go to Todd. You're in the same place. I'm just, okay, I'll start with everything today. So the Criterion that I watched this week is uh, a film um, directed by Claire Denis. And the film is called Beau Travail. Beau Travail. And uh, it is a French film from 1999. And uh, it is a, a film that is set in the country of Djibouti in Eastern Africa. I can't think of another movie that is set in Djibouti, uh, but this is the first one, hopefully not the last. Um, movie stars Denny Levant. Now, Terry and Todd, do you know who Denny Levant is? We've talked about him on this podcast. Yes, of course. Well, Todd knows. Nope. Do you know Holy Terry? Motors. In life, in, in, uh, in, 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 okay. yes. Holy Motors, the guy from Holy Motors. Uh, he is the star also of this movie, and in this movie he plays a character named uh, Galoop. Not Galoopy, like the car in Fast and Furious, or Jalopy, uh, but Galoop. Uh, And uh, he is a commander in the French Legion. And um, basically, the movie is about these group of soldiers from France who are stationed in Djibouti, doing God knows what. They do a lot of, like, training exercises, but it seems very, like, almost like a dance routine, almost. They do some stretches. Uh, There's very strong homoerotic uh, undercurrents in this movie. The movie is loosely based on uh, the Herman Melville novella Billy Budd, which was also oftentimes read as a pretty homoerotic text. Uh, And basically, Galoop um, develops this obsession slash hatred slash maybe uh, homoerotic fixation on this younger character whose name is Sentan, and he's played by Gregoire Collin. And, uh, yeah, if this movie doesn't sound French enough to you, just, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the penultimate French movie in the sense that it's about an army base and a bunch of soldiers, and yet there's no fighting, there's no explosions in it. It's really just this dude who, uh, thinks out loud about all the ways that he can screw over this other soldier, I guess both literally and metaphorically, um, because he has this basically, um, you know, un, un, understated and unknown fixation on him. Um, Claire Denis is a really interesting director. She's made movies, other movies set in Africa before, like Chocolat, which is not the Juliette Binoche Chocolat, but the 1980s Chocolat, which is a really good movie. She also made 
35 Shots of Rome, which I really like. Uh, her movies are usually pretty abstract. They sort of have circular narratives that don't always make sense. There's a lot, this feels kind of like a, if, if Terrence Malick were to make a French film, there's a lot of like narration and a plot that doesn't really go anywhere. Um, I like the movie. It, 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 it's not a very long movie. It's not a very necessarily deep movie, but I thought it was really striking. And there's an end to this movie that is, um, well, I'll just spoil it. It's basically the same ending as another round. I mean, Denny, Denny Levant goes and had, does this crazy dance sequence, which recalls Mads Mikkelsen, or maybe Mads recalls his sequence at the end of this movie. Um, it's a three-star movie. It up. It's a three-star movie. Uh, I really liked the, the Criterion edition, though. For a long time, this was only available on the New Yorker DVD set, which typically they put out good DVDs, but the transfer isn't always good. This actually looks pretty stunning. And uh, this also has a socially distanced extra feature because it's a recent Criterion um, edition. It is with uh, the director, Claire Denis, having a Zoom call with Barry Jenkins. And Barry Jenkins talking about his admiration for the film. But my favorite special feature is uh, a video essay. And... Uh, um, by a uh, French scholar named, oh, what's her name? Uh, Judith Maine. And what I like about it is that if you watch the 90-minute movie and you're like, I don't know what the hell happened at all, you can watch the video essay by Judith Maine and it explains everything. I love movies like that where you don't know at all what you watch, but then you watch like an essay about it and it suddenly makes sense. So yeah, Beau Travail, I don't think it's as great as some critics think it is, but it certainly has a cool name. And uh, yeah, I, I, Denis Levant, it, only thing that was missing was talking cars the only thing that was missing was talking cars that that's the only thing it had that, different from holy motors that could have improved the movie i think <laughs> when are we get talking cars in the fast and furious saga that's what i remember there we go that's, now that's we're a great talking idea. conspiracy theory yep yep I, I also have to say i've i've taught too many middle schoolers to not chuckle a little bit when you say a film is set in Djibouti. Um, yeah. I had a high school professor that was stationed in Djibouti, and he used to tell the same stories about the hyenas in Djibouti. That's the only <laughs> thing I know about the place. My Spanish teacher in high school. Uh, Christopher Walken kept a, kept a, a watch in Djibouti, but, uh, no, I'm... Oh. Yeah. I see. Get it? Yeah. Get, get, see what I did there? That's an eighth grade teacher joke. It is an eighth grade teacher joke. <laughs> All right, all right. So that is uh, Zach's Criterion Watch. Now it is time for my Oscar watch. So my Oscar watch, I don't know if you've seen my screen. I don't know if you're looking at my screen at all. Yeah, no. I'm not looking. So, so here's... It's <laughs> totally going to help, when, you know, when we do trivia later. Yeah, you, you can't you look at the screen. There. That's not fair. <laughs> I, I could. You I, could? I have, I have, I have... Then I will turn to make sure you can. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, for my, my uh, Oscar anniversary watch, going back 20 years, to the winner of Best Foreign Film. No Man's Land. Not no, no Man's Land is Not correct. Nomadland. No Man's Land. You have no idea how many times as I've been talking about this movie since I watched it this week, I've had, I've had to slip up and say, not Nomadland, No Man's Land. Yeah, I did the same thing. So, yeah. This is this is no man's land. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there we go. Uh, yeah. So this is uh, written and directed by uh, Dani Tanovic. Uh, Tanovic, who is uh, this is a Bosnian film set during the uh, the 1993 wars in Bosnia and Herzegovina, where uh, kind of during their civil war, 
And it is a kind of a fascinating story of two soldiers, uh, Siki and Nino, played by Bronco Jurek and Rene Bidorayak. Man, I'm great with these names. Uh, and they are from opposite sides. And through a series of uh, unfortunate events, they both end up in no man's land in the trench in the middle of no man's land between the two front lines and they're stuck neither of them can make their way back to their own line and they decide to kind of mutually just stay there and hate each other and attempt to potentially shoot each other and uh eventually one of the guys um on Siki's side who uh they thought was dead comes uh is ends up not being dead but he's been placed on a mine as a booby trap and so he they're trying to figure out how to potentially save him but save each other and not uh not die in the meantime you have the united nations getting involved and uh that is uh marshawn who's played by uh george cientitas i think uh who i gotta say for like the first 10 minutes he was on screen with his battle helmet on i thought it was adrian brody um until he took it off and i realized it wasn't this movie is really interesting in that it, it's it's an intense kind of thriller, but at the same time can be played for uh, for some ironic comedy as well. Uh, it has kind of a devastating ending that um, that kind of kind of shapes the whole thing, and see you see exactly the what war is like. It is. Uh, it, it's a really fun movie, uh, really fascinating watch, fairly short uh, for kind of a war epic. It's barely, it's a little over an hour and a half. Uh, I'm giving it three stars, a really solid three stars, uh, almost a three and a half star movie. Uh, and uh, yeah, that is No Man's Land. I enjoyed the watch. Uh, Todd, I think you've seen it. Zach, I don't know if you have. I'm not. No. Yeah, I remember really liking it. I mean, according to my records, I have it number fourteen of two thousand one. Oh wow! I mean, it's a. I thought it was a really unique war movie. I, I love these sort of like, uh, th- those kind of movies that, that that tell a war movie from a different perspective. And like, I I thought this one really worked. But I mean, three stars. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, not my favorite foreign film of two thousand one so far. No, it's um, not mine either. But okay, okay. <laughs> But I, I think coming into this year, I hadn't seen any of the foreign nominees from 2001. And this is my... Oh, I don't even know which one this is yet. Let me look. This is... I think the second one I've watched. No, the third third one I've watched from, from there. And I'd say it's probably my second favorite so far. But I, I still haven't seen the big one yet. And the, the big one is Amelie. That was the, the big foreign nominee that year, which I haven't watched yet. It's coming up later on this year. But uh, I'd put it second of the three that I've seen. Yeah, I, no man, no man's land. Unfortunately, kind of gets that rap a little bit, which is that it, it, you know, because Amelie wasn't in the category, wasn't a nominee, it didn't win. It was probably. Oh, it was. It was in the category. Amelie really? was nominated. No man's beat land it. beat yeah. Amelie. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, what were they thinking that year? That's crazy. <clears throat> well, yeah, and which is crazy because Amelie is one of those. It was I mean, kind of like a kind of like the lives of others beating Pan's Labyrinth because. Amelie got original screenplay, cinematography, art direction, sound, but lost foreign film to this Bosnian movie. So would the director of Amelie get a Best Director nomination now? That's a question I'll ask you when you watch Amelie. How about that? 
Okay. Like the Cold War. I mean, it's War. possible with the way. Yeah. yeah, Cold War and uh, and another round and. Well, I think it's accepted the best foreign movie that year was in the mood for love, right? And that was pretty much ignored, uh, right? I, have not I mean, both both of those are way more notable than No Man's Land, so I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on from uh, from that and go into uh, Todd's uh, Todd's uh, Cager review. Go. All right, I'm running out of uh, movies from Nicolas Cage. This is actually the hundredth Nicolas Cage movie I've seen, and uh, but the forty first version of the Cager. One hundred. This is number one hundred. This is the the hundredth. Yeah, Cage movie wow. that I've seen. Yeah, and uh, this is a David Lynch movie from 1990 that is not wild at heart. It wow. is Industrial Symphony Number no. One: The Dream of the Broken Hearted. <laughs> and yeah, this movie is something else. Like it, it opens up with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. It's the only time they're in the movie, and uh, they're on the phone, and Cage is breaking up with her. He's billed as the heartbreaker. She's billed as the heartbroken woman. And Cage is, like, being really serious and mournful, and Dern is in, like, full wild at heart, damsel in distress mode. It's clear that he kind of loves her, and but, and she loves him, but the relationship is, like, ill-fated, and, you know, it's, he's gonna break it off. And after that, the whole thing shifts into this, like, live performance piece by uh, Julie Cruz, in which, you know, I mean, we see it's, like, a hallucinating, dreamlike collection of musical performances. <laughs> And, like, interpretive dancing and really, like, bizarre images. Julie Cruz is the, like, the musician. She's behind, uh, behind Twin Peaks, which I've never actually seen, but I really want to. Like, I love David Lynch and stuff. And, and if this is anything like this or Mulholland Drive, then I'm all for it. But I actually think it's in some way related to the series, honestly. But I, since I've never seen it, I, I was kind of out of it for a bit. But, I mean, it, there's a lot of, like, really cool images that are like stuck in my brain and um the whole thing i think is supposed to be some sort of manifestation of like what the subconscious of the heartbroken woman is because her life is like completely shattered uh after breaking up with him and um it's it's really haunting to watch i it's sort of hard to watch at the same time like there there's so much despair in the songs and it's got this like really downer vibe you're like trapped in like what what you're watching and it's more of like a performed version of like Silencio or something from from Holland Drive. It's like erotic and it's like lingering and it's really unsettling. There's like this giant bloody gargoyle thing that you find out is a skinned deer and there's like floating <laughs> bodies. It's like this really weird performance thing. Like the music is really cool. It's like it reminded me of the the Drive soundtrack with like the fluttering dreamlike nature and. Um, yeah, I watched this because of the opening two minutes of Nicolas Cage, and he doesn't return, and I'm okay with that. I don't know what this is, I don't think it's actually a movie, but it's billed on IMDb as a TV movie, so I guess I have to include it in the cager. At number 25, it's three. It's a three-star movie. It's between Gone in 60 Seconds and Con Air. Whoa, that's that's some rare fight air there. But, yeah. It's, on, it's, it's free on YouTube. I don't know that it's actually on video anywhere, but have you ever heard of it, Zach? No, I had a hard time finding it on IMDb. I thought you were making it up for the first 60 seconds. I do find it fascinating that you basically shit on this whole movie. You know, Nicolas Cage is only in it for two minutes. It's a bizarre performance art that's 50 minutes long. And yet you stick it right next to two classics. That, I, wow. Well, I wasn't shitting on it. I mean, it really, it's one of those things, similar to Holy Motors, I guess, in that way, where it's like, you don't necessarily know what you're watching, but it seems fascinating, but at the same time, it's not really a movie, that's why I'm only giving it three stars. This is like, this is like, um, like watching Waking Life for Jesse and Celine. 
Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Deep. on my on my cager, I have Grindhouse on there for, <laughs> for the Fu Manchu performance by Nicholas Cage. So. Yeah, that's what I, I was guess. Saw someone recently say that uh, argue that um, that Fu Manchu might have been Nicholas Cage's best performance. <laughs> it was something. It, it was. It was something. Do you think this is a movie that Jack and Miles watched while they were at San Diego State? Because this would have been right around when they were undergraduates, right? Maybe, like, maybe a little, maybe a little yeah, late for that. I don't know. No, there's no way they watched this. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if I don't even know how it aired. Like, it, I don't even know if there was an audience. It, it, it's weird. I mean, just, you just gotta watch it. It's 50 minutes. It's right up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. So, so just to review, right, well, the three movies we reviewed today were a Bosnian Best Foreign Language winner, a French movie set in Djibouti, and, exper- and a 50-minute experimental film with Nicolas Cage only in the first two minutes. We are really getting out the hits, guys. We, we, are, we are getting we, we all are, sorts we of are. buzz. We are, we're trending. We are appealing to the mainstream. And, and, and to follow that up, we're going to go as mainstream as we possibly can. By reviewing the tenth installment to a film franchise, <laughs> uh, are we gonna rank them after we at the end of? I mean, we probably should. We probably should. Are we? Are we gonna do that now, or are we gonna wait till after wanna, the? Wait after the review. After the well. All okay. I have to thank God I, for timestamps. For those of you listening, yeah, you can you can now start listening to us. You don't have to. Yeah. Yes. Start listening <laughs> now. now. If you're. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the featured review. And yes, the featured review is the new blockbuster hit that just came out this weekend. It is F9, The Fast Saga. Oh, Father, now, I will always be in your heart. Little Brian, I have a gift for you. Your daddy gave me this. Now I'm going to give it to you. It's very special for protection from what's coming so uh anyways let's review this and todd you're starting us off tell us all about it all right this is directed by justin lane who's directed um others in the franchise uh it opens up <laughs> who's directed I, i'm not others. Really sure which ones he's actually directed others <laughs> which ones um, others <laughs> The movie starts with a flashback to a story that Dom tells Brian in the first one, which is about the day his dad died during a stock car race, and here we see that Dom is actually part of his pit crew, which I wasn't explained earlier, but makes a lot of sense now, and we get to see the emotional moments leading up to his demise when he's, like, spun into the wall, and we come to find out that Dom has a brother named Jacob, who may or may not have had something to do with the crash, and <coughs> Dom beats the guy, the future janitor, as we find out, uh, but um, he does time, and then basically after that ends all connection with Jacob until the present day, because Cypher, which is the return of Charlie Theron from the last one, uh, calls upon Jacob, who's just like this beastly super spy, played by John Cena. Uh, she wants him to steal some computer hacking, like, orb thing, uh, to, like, take over computers or something, and so Dom and Letty are pulled out of retirement, uh, to go stop him. The whole crew is back, and more. Like, Jordana Brewster joins the crew, saying that her kid and Dom's kid are with Brian. Uh, Han comes back to life and kicks some ass with a sniper rifle. Uh, there's, you got, you got Ludacris and Tyrese. Uh, you got Helen Mirren's back. 
uh, she was in Hobbs and Shaw. Um, oh, yeah. Natalie Emanuel is back as Ramsey. Lucas Black, Bow Wow, and James Tobin, <laughs> or Jason Tobin, are back from Tokyo Drift. We get the addition of Michael Rooker, who is uh, basically an Atlee Jackson type. I don't know if <laughs> yes. appreciate that. Uh, in the flashback scenes. Cardi B is in there, apparently paying off some passing line in one of the movies. And um, we get the younger versions of Dom and Jacob, who are really effective. Dom is played by Jimmy Bennett, and Jacob is played by Finn Cole. And I have to say, Zach, I apologize uh, for last episode because we we did our recasting of the show, or of the first movie, and you had Charlize Theron as Dom, and I gave you shit because she is in the saga. Finn Cole was my Brian, and <laughs> I I had no idea that he was in the movie. He's, he's the lead in Animal Kingdom, and he is an awesome young Jacob, but I, yeah, I broke the rules... Didn't even know I was doing it, but <laughs> I, I know I know that you you didn't even recognize that, but uh... <laughs> oh, gosh, it all comes full circle eventually. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this movie it is a mashup of a lot of different styles and pays homage to a lot of franchises. Like it's a Bond movie and it's international espionage plus like the stuff in the UK is impossible not to think of a Bond movie. It's a Bourne movie and, like, it's crazy fight sequences sprinkled throughout. There's a lot of, like, kinetic action. Like, I mean, uh, Dom, like, fights, like, 30 guys at one time, which was really crazy. Uh, it's kind of sort of a Mission Impossible movie and how completely stupid the mission sounds, but somehow they get it done in the end. <laughs> it's a Marvel movie for sure because there's a whole ton of superheroes <laughs> that get back together for one big, absurd, nonstop action movie who's, like, trying to take over somebody who's trying to, like, like, destroy the world or something, and it's all because some guy, Nick Fury, or, I mean, Mr. Nobody, says that they should do it. Um, it's obviously a Star Wars movie, because, I mean, there's even a scene where they rip through the jungle that is just like the scene in Return of the Jedi. Instead of speeders, they have a motorcycle and a tank rolling through landmines. It was, I don't know, it's, it's, the movie is ridiculously self-aware. Like, Tyrese goes throughout the movie with, like, this morality question, mortality question, where he's like, you know, we go through all these insane missions, and we never even have a scratch on us. He all but quotes Jules Winfield, basically saying without saying, like, man, we should be dead, man. I mean, <laughs> and like, we are not normal. Like, I mean, and then they go to space, of course. Because, you know, <laughs> why, why not? Uh, they completely rip off ideas from, I mean, Breaking Bad. I mean, there's a, it's a really cool sequence, but Magnets, bitch, you know. Like, I mean, that, that, that it was like an entire 30-minute action sequence. And, there, I mean, there's other stuff wrong with the movie. Like, everybody looks so damn old except for Jordana Brewster and Ludacris. Like, they're the only ones that don't look like they've aged at all. Everyone else looks t incredibly old. Uh, the CGI backdrops of a lot of the action sequences don't look very good. Uh, they're kind of fake. You would think with an extra year that they actually would have uh, been able to polish that, but apparently not. Um, the, uh, I mean, and I don't think the movie could ever really be a standalone movie because it relies so much on you caring about the characters, and you knowing what's happened in the last four movies to actually be able to follow what's going on. And there's some genuine moments, but I, I mean, I can't imagine going into this movie out of context. It would just seem, like, ridiculous, which it kind of does anyway, but, I mean, even more so. And it, it's all about family, once again, just like the seventh one. Uh, every It's like every third word, though, is family, instead of, like, every other word, like in the seventh one. And there's another send-off to Paul Walker, which I just think works better than the, the, the previous one, uh... I don't know. 
there, I mean, it, it has a tone problem also where it's like, it'll have this like really cool action sequence, but then it'll be like, damn, you ate a lot of candy. Yeah, I eat candy when I get nervous, and they're in space in a car with a jet strapped to it. It's a parody of itself. But having said that, I actually kind of like the movie. Like, I could see myself watching it again. I mean, something I couldn't say about, like, 4, 5, or 7, or 8. Like, I mean, it's I think it's the third best in the franchise. I mean, it's, it's, it's not art, but it's... I mean, so rating it's kind of complicated, but it's a blast to watch and it's a blast being back in a theater that was like packed because this thing was like sold out like several showings throughout friday and saturday and i'm giving it two and a half stars all right zach where are you at with this one wow that was that was a very generous review todd that was more, <laughs> i think that was more detail than anyone has ever given than the writers of this movie gave to to this, to this story because <laughs> this movie sucked and when I say it sucks, I mean it actually made me question whether nobody was really that bad. I now have this as the worst movie of the year. I think it is a total and complete disaster, not even ironically fun, okay? First of all, let's talk about the actors, all right? Vin Diesel, he has a kid, okay? He looks too old to be having kids. I thought, oh, he's a grandpa now, right? I didn't realize that was his kid. I had no, I, what, Letty's not the mother? I, that is never explained throughout the movie. And I get it. I should have seen Fast 7. But you know what? I'm already committing three hours to this piece of garbage. I don't need to commit more time than is necessary. However, I will say, Michelle Rodriguez is still kind of a slam and slew banger uh, in this movie. I, I, no, no problems there, okay? So you, leave, you leave her off the list, Todd. Uh, okay, let's talk about Charlize Theron for a second, doing her best like Hannibal Lecter impersonation inside this glass cage yeah. uh, that doesn't have any bathrooms. It's like Magneto in X-Men. Uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty obvious that she shot her scenes separate from the rest of the cast. Smart move on her part. Um, when she was flying the fighter jet, oh, it's not a fighter jet. Yeah, who could have seen that one coming? Uh, let's also talk about John Cena. John Cena's funny, man. Have you seen his impression of Hulk Hogan? He that was hilarious. Did you see him in Trainwreck eat Mark Wahlberg? I mean, he's awesome. And then in this movie, he's given nothing. He's this is like the one. He tries to like play it straight, you know, be like all serious, but he ends up kind of looking like Billy Zane in Titanic. Like, I there's there's no sort of nuance to that role. It's just like laughable um, how mainstream he tries he tries to make it. Um, can we also talk about uh, the Tesseract in this movie? Because this movie is a Marvel movie. It has every single uh, contrivance. Not only that, but there, I, there's also like a little bit of Christopher Nolan in the movie. Like the scene where Dom has the flashback and he's like walking through the house and he sees the characters, before, you know, his dad before he died. Like that was taken right out of Interstellar. Um, and then, we, of course, we need to talk about uh, the outer space scenes with, with Ludacris and Tyrese. I mean, what were they thinking there? Are they thinking at that point, okay, we're two hours in, uh, we just need something to happen? A total disaster, complete waste of time. This represents the disease of more. We talked about this last week. I like the opening sequence because it reminded me of the first movie. Why did the, why why does the world always need to be saved? Can can we ask that question? Like why can't why can't they just operate? You know, a Toretto's restaurant and uh, family have some family. Uh, with the barbecue family, family, yeah, every three words, I get it. Uh, this movie stinks, one star, and it's uh, nobody's not the worst movie of the year anymore. Best thing you can say about it. Now, now the in, the interesting question is, I, 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 here's my conspiracy theory: Bob Odenkirk in Nobody is actually Mister Nobody from the Fast franchise. 
and it all just ties together. No, Mr. <laughs> Nobody is, is, is Jared Leto, clearly. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, so for me, I agree almost completely with Todd on this one. Uh, this movie, this movie is a mess. It, 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 it is, it is not good. Um, but I couldn't help but be entertained by it. Like it, it's almost two and a half hours long, but I'm, I was entertained the whole time. I, I enjoyed myself. I think one thing I thought, uh, there were two things I, I immediately thought as I was watching it, and I actually texted Todd as soon as I got done, and he hadn't seen it yet, and said these two things. One, I am so glad last week we did a deep dive of the first one, because this movie has more callbacks to the first one than any of the other sequels. What, with with the, the death of Dom's dad, to, to some street racing, to... I mean, did you even notice that there that there was, like, Vincent Leon and and, uh, and Letty, like, de-aged, standing behind Dom when he raced Jacob in that scene? Like, they were back there. I, I, didn't, I mean, I saw Vince. I didn't see the other like, I, Yeah, the, the whole crew was there. No, I don't think Leon would have been there yet. They were, in, they were still, like, in high school or something. I, I thought I don't know. Leon, it and like... Je- Leon and Jesse, I thought, showed up later. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, all... The, so more callbacks to the first one than anything. Second, I need to watch the sequels more to understand everything that's going on. Because like Todd said, this is not a standalone movie. You need to know what's going on in the other stuff to understand anything. Like like the thing with, like you said, Letty's not the mom. I completely forgot that that was a whole side plot that had happened. Um, and then uh, the the whole context with, um, with Charlize Theron's character... And I couldn't figure out was was Jacob using Charlie Theron or was Charlie Theron like calling all the shots? It didn't feel like that because she was in a box. I thought like Jacob somehow I don't know caught why her. Why she was in a box? I, I, it, it was like it was like Jacob somehow acquired her <laughs> and was using her knowledge to be able to do it. That that was a whole thing that I don't know if it explained it in Fate of the Furious. And I, I missed it, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but there, I, I will say, when they went to space, though, that was when I just, like, leaned back in my chair, started laughing hysterically and said, why not? Let's do this. And just, and that was, like, when I really started having fun. Because it had, it was, it was just completely bonkers at that point. It's like... Why? Why not just go for it? Tyrese in it is is really funny because I feel like he is the audience in almost every scene, because he's the one that says, "Wait, we're doing what? Really? I mean, does any of this actually make sense?" And he's a he's a one character that will actually say that. I, but yeah, I don't know. The performances, the performances, I think, are kind of horrible. Like you said, John Cena has nothing to do, and he's terrible at the little bit he does. Uh, I think after watching Fast and Furious last week, we we praised Vin Diesel for his amazing performance and his high and his high war performance in the first one. His performance in this one has been relegated to like brooding and grunting, and that's all he does. And I I don't know. I think the he has lost whatever acting chops he's had since uh, over the last 20 years, since the first one came out. 
Uh, I think he's he he thinks, and you hear about some of the comments that he's made. I think he thinks way too highly of himself, even though he's trying less. I mean, he, he talks about the the feud between him and The Rock, and how he was the superior actor that that elevated The Rock's performance. And then you hear about uh, how he wants he perfectly seriously said he wants to do a Fast and Furious musical, um, and uh, and that needs to be a part of this franchise. I don't know. It, it's just ridiculous. At the same time, I couldn't help but be entertained. I don't know. It, it, it was fun. I'm giving it two and a half stars. I don't know where I rank it in, in the pantheon of fast <laughs> movies. Because, like I said, I, I the like four through eight are all one gigantic blur to me. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm at. One improvement I would say is they have enough callbacks to Paul Walker in this. Dom's kid's name should be Jesse, not not yeah. Brian. I think that would have made more sense. You didn't need another callback. Well, listen, I had a few more things that I wrote down. This movie shouldn't be called F9. It should be called FU to the audience. And they can put that on the blurb from almostsideways.com. I also uh, had a comment that this is a don't care because this thing made like $70 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the best movie ever named after a keyboard command. So I will give it that. And I also have to say the sequence, I, first of all, I thought that uh, the, the sequence when they're fighting on top of the vehicle, when John Cena's going after the bald guy that I thought for the first 30 seconds was Vin Diesel, but it was just a different bald guy. I like how... He actually, it's kind of like the end of Speed when Dennis Hopper and Keanu Reeves are going out at the top of the subway and, and, you know, he pulls up his head and then his head, his head falls off. It's exactly like that, except for the bald guy goes through the platform that he hits. And I thought, well, if we were going to do a recasting of this movie, I would recast Lawrence Tierney because he's the only person that could go through a wall like that other than that guy. <laughs> I, I, I did I did have a callback to, to Gone in 60 Seconds at one point where it's like, are you okay? You sure? Because you just went through a wall. <laughs> and and I like how you're saying that it's the worst movie of the year, yet it has it 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 has um, uh, fond references to one of your favorite movies of all time. That's true. Yes, it did have a good callback to that. Yeah. Oh, wow. You guys are, you, you guys, uh, first of all, I also have to say, there was almost no one. Okay, I went to this movie Saturday late afternoon, and there was no one in the theater. <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe it was the heat in the Northwest, but I, almost no one was at the theater. However, the person that was sitting closest to me was crying at the end of the movie. So it did, it did move someone. <laughs> not, not quite as emotional as Avengers Endgame. I get it, but man. I went, I went Friday at noon, and I was one of three. Wow. Yeah, yeah. See, well, like, I was going to go Friday night, but they were all, every showing was sold out except for the front row, and so I went, like, Saturday morning, and every single seat that was available to be sold was sold. And I bought the tickets three days ahead of time. I think they should have the world premiere of F10 in Federal Way. I mean, you got fans there, you know? By the way, I've seen it posted several times, and I'm totally in for it. The next one needs to be called Fast 10 Your Seatbelts. Nice. I'm on board for that. <laughs> well, if anyone cares, my rankings go 6, 1, 9, 2, 
And then it's like probably seven Hobbs and Shaw. <clears throat> then five. No, four, then five, then uh, eight, then Tokyo Drift. <laughs> yeah. I feel like four, five, six is like its own standalone trilogy. Six? Oh, no. Six is... I think six is dope. I mean, that is my number one. Like, that... If you watch it again, you'll love six. But, like, five is is completely <clears throat> stupid. I mean, Vince comes back, which is cool, but at the same time, they're, they're like, dragging a, a safe across a bridge in Brazil. It's stupid. Like... I don't know. Five, five is the weakest of those three. They all just blend together. Honestly, I don't, I don't remember much of anything. What about you, Zach? What's your ranking? Uh, one, two, three, nine. That's all you've seen. We we reviewed Fate in the Fate of the Furious <laughs> like two years ago. Did pretty, we? I'm pretty sure we did. I don't know if we did. I don't think we did. I yeah, I don't remember it. Although it's very possible that I saw it and forgot about it. We came about 2018. Like I'm pretty sure. Uh, I mean, we had the podcast. Let's see here. Fate of the Furious was 2017. Oh, so it would have been a little like a couple months before we. A couple started. months before we started the I podcast. I swear, I thought I thought we. I mean, I don't know. I thought we. Yeah, I thought we reviewed it. Yeah. We didn't review Hobbs and Shaw though. <clears throat> I was thinking well, during the scenes with Ludacris and Tyrese in space. I was thinking Terry's gonna like this part. I. <laughs> And that's why he'll he'll be more sympathetic to this movie. But I I I thought it, it you know I mean Terry you know the person who makes Djibouti jokes I get it you know the intellectual level yeah, but uh, you know Todd two and a half I mean that's pretty generous. I'm just kidding. Not gonna lie, it was my favorite part. <laughs> it, th- this is trash. You really enjoy it. like. I, I would get this uh, for, you know, and maybe we'll talk about this on our next segment. I would like, you know, it's, it's fine if it's like 90 minutes, but then to, you know, have a two and a half hour piece of garbage with 45 minutes of previews and, you know, a $300 million budget uh, that could have been spent on. Listen, if if you had split up that $300 million budget among, you know, 300, give a million dollars to 300 of my high school students, they would all make better movies than this. Or your your eighth graders, they could make Djibouti jokes, and it would be better than this. See, and and, and this this is I, I'm in the same spot as Todd though, because I'm I'm torn by the fact that I was entertained by this whole thing, but also realizing it is way too long. It it thinks way too highly of its own material, and and how much it references back to movies nobody else cares about. Uh, it it feels like it People needs to do shit, i know like, but it, they, it feels they do care about these it movies. feels like it needs to constantly be doing tributes to paul walker i mean why why do we need another one this is the third film since he's died why do we need to have more and more tributes every single time this is the oh well hobson shaw yeah. doesn't i mean that that's yeah but I, I mean, I mean th- th- this is a big. This is our. This is the Earthbound Star Wars. Like I, I saw a thing today where Vin Diesel was. Uh, he wants Rita Moreno to play his grandmother, in in the tenth one, and she is willing to do it apparently. So I mean, and this this is where we're at. I mean, this is they're going to continue doing these for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and, I, I started laughing so hard when in the middle of the movie, they break out into a side conversation about how Fast and the Furious relates to Star Wars. And it's like, well, so-and-so is Luke Skywalker, and so-and-so is Han Solo. And and did I not talk about that last week? I did. You did. How this is Star Wars. 
Uh, well, it, we're still thrice declined here. I mean, I, I, I can't give a thumbs up to this movie. But it is somewhat entertaining. I almost do want to give it a thumbs up just because, <laughs> you know, screw you guys. <laughs> uh, it, it is entertaining. It is in theaters. If you're one of the few that hasn't seen it yet, it you can go back to the theaters. I mean, if, if for no other reason, go back to the theaters. Um, see this, see In the Heights, see something. Um, and uh, and, and uh, get, get back out there, get that going again. But apparently everyone's seeing F9, so... Alright. So that's our featured review. Now it's time to go to... Come to the stable review. Uh, because if we haven't had enough Fast and the Furious by this point, we're gonna <laughs> go back and look at another one that was made back in the 50s. An old, uh, an old classic Roger Corman film, The Fast and the Furious. Came out in 1954, I think, right? 1954? Yep. Uh, so, Zach, you're gonna start us out on this one. Tell us all about the 50s The Fast and the Furious and what you thought of this one. So, The Fast and the Furious 1954 is listed as an hour and 13 minutes, which puts it at exactly half the length of F9, which automatically <laughs> is, 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 is a, a, you know, a, a win in my book. Um, the movie is uh, half the running time and twice the movie. I, have a, I already know his, uh, <laughs> what he's going to say. <laughs> the movie, um, I guess, sort of is the inspiration for The Fast and Furious, n uh, the, the 2000s. Um, not really. I guess it was that the name was purchased and the rights to it from Roger Corman. By the way, can we rename the Douchebag Award the Roger Corman Senator Award from Apollo 13? How did we freak? Did we name him the biggest douche in Apollo 13? I did, and you guys were like, oh, I didn't even think about that one. Yeah, that's a great call. Because <laughs> we didn't, did we have it? Well, it's the Billy Bats Douchebag. I say let's change it to Senator Roger Corman Douchebag Award. Um, anyways. <laughs> Just Roger Corman. Corman. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there is an Apollo 14. Yeah, screw you. Anyway, um, so uh, The Fast and the Furious uh, 1954 is uh, a movie that stars John Ireland, who actually had an Academy Award nomination prior to this movie, which is stunning. Um, he Because his acting is just so incredible. He plays uh, a uh, uh, homicidal, um, crazed drifter named Frank Webster. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's kind of like, he goes to the local dive, and who shows up but Dorothy Malone, also kind of a slam and slew banger for 1954. I had no idea. This was before her Oscar for Written in the Wind, which I think I got a trivia point for a couple weeks ago. Anyway, I think she kind of looks like a young uh, uh, Jessica, Jessica Lange. Um, she comes in in her like Jaguar, okay? And this is like pre-Mad Men Jaguar. This is like almost like uh, a test car Jaguar. It's a really strange looking car. Anyway, um, they have this altercation in the in the restaurant, including a waitress named Wilma, who definitely wins the uh, the most annoying character slash uh, amazing Larry Big Tim uh, character because I want to know more about that character. But anyway, um, he absconds <laughs> with uh, uh, the uh, Dorothy Malone character and steals her car. I'm not really sure why he kidnaps her. I feel like all he really needed to do was just steal her car and try to flee from the police. But whatever. Um, so they, they run off together and, uh, he's on the run every five minutes. We get reminded that the police are on, uh, are looking for a guy who's killed someone and, uh, he's with a woman and they might be in a Jaguar, but apparently the people can't connect the dots that these two might be those people that the police are looking for. 
somehow they get involved with a 100 mile long distance uh, race that goes from California, conveniently enough, into Mexico. Hey, what do you know? He can, he can seek extradition in Mexico and not get arrested. Uh, that's that's pretty nice. Um, so they enter the race. Uh, we are told that the race uh, cannot, uh, that, that Connie, the Dorothy Malone character, cannot drive because it's not a suitable race for women. And then we get uh, this guy good. on the racetrack who somehow has omnipresent vision because in spite of this race being 98 uh, miles long, it's not around a track, but this announcer is able to see, oh, he's pulling up ahead. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's coming in first. Even though he can't have, I don't know how he can visualize all these cars driving. Um, I also love the side banter like, uh, Dr. Smith, your son is calling. I think he also gets uh, an award at some point in this movie, that announcer character. Anyway, this movie is pure fun. This should have been on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, I think it's kind of delightful and charming in its utter stupidity. And I give it two, two stars because it is twice the movie at half the length of Fast 9. So a one-star movie that this movie gets two stars. All right, so I'll go next here. Um, I'm kind of in the same spot. I'm, I'm like two, two and a half. I, I had it at two, and then as you were talking, I was like, you know what? No, this is worth bumping up to two and a half. Why not? Uh, it, it's it's a fun movie. Uh, it, it's a it's like a great B movie because the filmmaking at times is just really really spotty and bad. At the same time. For the 50s and for a B-movie like this, those racing sequences were pretty cool. And I, I thought they were they were well shot. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought they were pretty well shot for, um, for what they had. Um, and uh, the, the good call on the waitress. That waitress was, was awesome. Um, <laughs> I want to report a murder. And she didn't even check the body. There's just someone passed out on the floor and she assumes that they're dead. Well, she gives her so much shit for ordering, was it pineapple juice? Pineapple juice, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Most annoying character yet want to know more about at the same time. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was... It, there wasn't much to it. The performances were so-so. The writing was kind of iffy. Uh, I felt like it was a fairly long hour and 15 minutes. So you know what? I'm going back to two stars. It, but um, it had its moments. And I thought the racing sequences were, were kind of well shot, given what the, the limit, obvious limited budget they were, they were working with. So two stars for me. Todd? Yeah, I mean, this is a thrice mediocritized or whatever we called it the last time. <laughs> I think it was two stars as well. Thrice right. declined is kind of is what we're going. I know, with, but, but it was since we're all at the exact same spot. Like, <laughs> thrice mediocritized. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think this actually has a lot in common with the first Fast and Furious. They they like mention Coachella as being like where he did his time, which is which is actually where uh, they try to do their last like heist of the tr or like take over the truck in the first Fast and Furious. Like I feel I I thought it was just going to be like a vague storyline or a story sto like the title. Um, uh, homage and not really have the same storyline, but it like sort of inglorious bastards kind of kind of thing. But I think it's actually like more a hole in the head where it's like you can definitely see the parallels and they actually have affection for this movie for some reason. Uh, I like the old Roger Corbin movies. This one, it, I mean, he obviously is great at procuring assets for his movies because like 
No, none of these people did anything again, except for obviously the actors. Like he got an Oscar-nominated actor, and he's like, "Oh, you could you could just co-direct it, and you know, and 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 we'll let you, and so and then you could star in it or whatever." And then he obviously has a, a future Oscar winner. It's a fifty thousand dollar budget, and apparently he had a Jaguar dealer donate all the cars, so he Whoa. didn't actually have to pay for anything. And that's how you only pay fifty thousand for this thing. I mean, it's it's not as exploitative or whatever as like. A bucket of blood or a little shop of horrors or his other stuff but like i mean it is still pretty interesting and like his, the way he makes his indie movies and yeah like terry said it shouldn't be this long like there, a lot of the side characters weren't fleshed out at all like i don't know the score sounded like it was trying to be a hitchcock movie or something but i mean that's not the way the movie feels and again the second week in a row we have a movie that should not be ending with like a stupid big car race like with like same way with luca it looked repetitive but I mean, at the same time, it kind of worked for some reason. I don't know. I thought so. I can't give it a positive rating. So, um, yeah, like I said, two stars. It's not nearly as, ba- nearly as bad as I expected it to be, but at the same time, I'm just like, all right, here's the movie I watched. Yeah, it's not good when it has to work to get to an hour and 15 minute runtime. <laughs> it's also not good that you, if you're featuring a race that features uh, a Stanley Steamer and a Model T. So you're probably not going to get necessarily great uh, scintillating action race footage. Uh, I disagree with both of you, though. I thought this was a breeze at an hour and 13 minutes. I actually thought it flew by, and that was with the YouTube commercials, by the way. And uh, I got to say, I, I, I think uh, Dorothy Malone, a slam and slew banger, uh, it's a, she, she's really good in this movie. I, I, the, for a Corman movie, like I think she emotes pretty well. Uh, John Ireland, you know, not so much. But, uh, oh, this is also the first time I've ever seen in any movie where the damsel in distress gets locked in and she sets fire to where she is being held. I don't think that That works. I think they probably die of carbon monoxide poisoning. But I like the the, the original. Just that alone was more creative than anything in F9. Did you notice they didn't care about the building either? It was like, oh, thanks for letting me out. Let's go. And then they left a... A, fi- a flaming building behind. I thought that was fascinating. And apparently, there's cops all around because you know the cops are now in invested in the world in in this race. But uh, yeah, the burning building. Who cares? Yeah. Although all I don't right. think they had the budget for flames. I think it was just a bunch of smoke. Okay, I I think we have fully extended our Fast and the Furious talk now. Between. <laughs> I'd rather talk about the 50s Fast and the Furious than F9. I, I, well, no. I think just kind of in general, go, going back to last week's deep dive, then this, both reviews this week, I think, I think we've, uh, we, we, are, we, we are not fast or furious in moving on from these, uh, these films. So uh, with that, we're going to move on from our come to the stable. Like I said, thrice declined or thrice mediocritized. We all give it two stars. It is readily available if you want to watch the original Fast and Furious, it's on Tubi, it's on Pluto TV, I think, as well, so you can, you know, pick your free service, deal with the ads, uh, and you can watch it there. All right, Power Rankings time. And, Todd, you won last week, but on the air last week, or not last week, two weeks ago, you and Zach kind of mutually came up with this topic for today, so tell us what we're doing. Uh, well... It was really Zach's idea, and I was like, yeah, we could do that at some point, and Zach took that as, like, we're going to do that next time, and so we kind of <laughs> said that on the air, because I didn't really have that many more ideas, because I 
Because you win too much. Yeah, Just say I, it. Just I, say yeah, it. Because I'm better than you guys. So, <laughs> we are doing the top five movie slash TV bartenders. Uh, which, for me, I thought was like the most difficult thing we've ever done. Because bartenders are very rarely a significant character in a movie or TV show. So, coming up with a list of five of them was a chore. But, I mean, it was, it was fun to like try to think back through a lot of uh, our favorite movies and try to pick out characters that we like yeah this this was a tough list however i i mean i i did a little research and by research i i looked up other people's lists which really kind of helped out a little bit of reminding me of some random side characters that were bartenders because you're right it was hard it's hard to like dig through what we've seen before and and come up with when a bartender pops up. Yeah, but. like one scene, maybe maybe two scenes of, of a bartender. I mean, that, that's pretty much what you're looking at, because not every movie is Cocktail or Coyote Ugly, and those movies suck. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, that, that's right. what, that's why I thought the list was fun. I, I There's no quota of screen time. Like, I was fully expecting these to be very small, minor uh, side characters. That's what makes this list uh, charming, I think. I actually thought of Which a lot of them. what makes the list harder to come up with characters unless you're just picking out of your favorite movies because a lot of a lot of movies have scenes in a bar but how how often is the bartender actually memorable so i mean but we'll get into that as, as we go along but you know there are several characters on my list uh whose name <laughs> simply is bartender is is and, and should that be should that be held against them i don't think so all right well let's get started on this then so i'm gonna go first because i'm the only one that hasn't gone first on something yet so I'm going first, and my number five is someone whose character's name is Bartender. Uh, and this Bartender is played by Doug Lennox in the 2000 film X-Men. Uh, this is uh, one of the first scenes, opening scenes of the movie. This is some random bar, I think, in Alaska, where uh, Logan slash Wolverine is doing bare-knuckle fist fights and brawls inside of a cage. I mean, first off... To be a bartender, to be doing bare knuckle fights in your in your bar is pretty is pretty awesome. And then you add to that the fact that as soon as the claws come out, like instantly, like in less than a second, he's got his shotgun out and pointed like six inches from his face. Get out of my bar, freak! And and then uh, and and then Logan just for just for that happening, um, courteously turns it into a sawed off shotgun. Uh, so uh, that, there there's that too. So. Anyways, it, it, he's he's awesome because he he's got bare knuckle fights going on in his uh in his bar, and then uh, he's got a shotgun more readily available than any bartender should ever have. So, uh, Doug Lennox as bartender in uh, X Men. That's my number five. That is a lovely pick. <laughs> All right, Todd. <clears throat> yep, yep. Todd, you're next. Uh, my number five comes from the greatest movie ever made, The Deer Hunter, and that is John Welsh, played by George Junja, who is one of the one of the friends uh, in Pennsylvania of the, of the of the main crew. Like he has the most ridiculous laugh, and he he gets drunk with his customers. It seems like probably every night, I assume, when they get off their job at the steel mill. But he also plays the piano, as we find out like throughout the movie, especially in the final scene and in the scene where they're all like singing, um, you know. What's the band's name? The Four Seasons? No. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. He's the coolest bartender 
because he, I mean, he le- he lets his bar be dictated by his by the patrons, and and you know he's best buds with all of them, and yeah. George Junges, John Welsh. That's I guess that's my number five. Leave it to you to have the deer hunter on your list. This is this is how it had to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Zach, number five. All right, my number five is my uh, obligatory pick from a Tarantino movie. Several great bartenders uh, that you could choose from. The one I'm going to go with, though, is Ellis Williams as the cockatoo bartender in Jackie Brown. Uh, This this is the scene when Jackie and Ordell are meeting right after Jackie has met with the feds, and she has let them know uh, about Ordell's operation. And uh, when she, Ordell loves uh, the cockatoo, he says, man, this is, this is my kind of place. And uh, I'm talking about the bartender who um, he asks Jackie, uh, how you doing? And she says, oh, I'm fine. And then he says, yes, you are. Great delivery. I think that's his only line in the scene. Uh, and then he gets uh, uh, Samuel Jackson, a screwdriver. Now, I do have to say, uh, first of all, Ellis uh, Williams, according to his IMDb, has played bartenders in three other movies, which is interesting. And the other interesting thing is um, Tarantino once played a bartender. Uh, he played a bartender in a movie called Somebody to Love, which I've never seen before. But it's one of those great uh, Tarantino and uh, you know Top Gun rant type 60-second uh, clips on YouTube where uh, in his role as the bartender, he talks about how uh, uh, being funny doesn't get your dick sucked. Uh, you have to, uh, it, being funny is not enough. Anyway, it's a great speech. You should watch it. Uh, maybe that's my quote of the day. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going. Ellis, Ellis Williams as a cockatoo bartender. Definitely did not get right. I thought you were going to go with uh, Bud's boss. Well, but see, he's, okay. I was thinking about the bartender in Kill Bill Volume 2. Bud Sid Haig. Sid Haig as Jay. That was my honorable mentions. Bud, can't you tell time? Larry would like a word. But he's only, I mean, I guess technically he has more lines than Ellis Williams does, but I think the whole scene is overshadowed by uh, by Larry. So <laughs> n- not not fair to, to that actor. All right. All right. Okay, I'm next. Number four on my list. Uh, I am going with Gary the Bartender. He's not a Played by Peter Siragusa in The Big oh, Lebowski. Okay, there go. Yeah, yeah, there you that, go. That Gary. That, that Gary the bartender. I, 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 so one of the big debates leading into this has been, is Gary in Sideways a bartender? We've been arguing over this. I decided to not go with it, but when I saw that there was another Gary the bartender that would actually work and be a good pick, I had to just to go with that. And he's a great bartender, too. I mean... He makes a mean white Russian, and he keeps his bar fully stocked with sarsaparilla. And any bartender that can pull off both of those in a bowling alley in the middle of L.A., they're, they're about as good as you can get. So, Gary the Bartender, Big Lebowski. I love it, Terry, and I think I was also on the same website you were. <laughs> <laughs> you out but it's a good pick well i mean i mean when you when you google search bartenders i mean there's only so many lists that you can come up with but i don't remember a bartender in the big lebowski do you actually remember that scene i thought the dude just made his own right russians well he does but then but uh but sam elliott is always sitting at the bar in in uh in the bowling alley ordering sarsaparilla 
And that, like the whole scene at the end when when he interacts with Sam Elliott and is like, oh, the dude abides. He's going to pick up his new white Russian. And this character is significant enough that we actually learn his name is Gary. Apparently. I don't remember ever them saying his name was Gary. But, uh, I, I mean, see that, that... Sam Elliott saying Gary. That, yeah, I could see Sam Elliott actually calling him out. Or, no, it's probably the dude. The dude would know him by name. Or Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus never orders a drink at the bar. It's, it, yeah, it, it's gotta be the dude. It's gotta be the dude. Alright, well, my number four... Maybe it's Donnie. <laughs> yeah. My number four is Charlene Fleming from The Fighter, which is played by Amy Adams. She's, I mean, she's hot, she's spunky, she's a badass, but it probably isn't the most professional thing to give out your number on a napkin, but she ended up marrying the guy, so I guess you can't really blame her for that. She seems genuine, uh, but probably just working for tips. I think she's a highlight of that movie, and we never actually talk about it, and she's a hot bartender, so, hey, I thought I could mention it here, The Fighter. All right, Zach, number four. All right, number four is uh, one of my favorite uh, performances by Ben Affleck during the period in which we weren't allowed to recognize his greatness as an actor. And uh, that performance, Todd knows it. I don't know if he left. Uh, is Ben Affleck? He can hear you. Okay, that's good. It's Ben Affleck's performance in Extract, a movie that Todd and I have talked about. Yes. I kind of love Act- Extract. I think it's a movie that is almost deep dive worthy. Uh, I don't know if it's actually a great movie, but it is definitely a fun movie to watch. It's the Mike Judge movie that I like. Not, I think Office Space is kind of overrated. Um, in Extract, uh, Ben Affleck plays Dean, who is uh, the Jason Bateman's character. He's the main character in the movie. It's his best friend slash confidant. He's kind of he's kind of basically the Thomas Hayden Church character in this movie. Okay, so he's got the long hair. His life is kind of a mess. He basically he says, "Yo, man, you should take some Xanax. That will perk you up." Um, and then, you know, he goes into Jason Bateman's office and sees Mila Kunis and is like, dang, you, you can have any woman you want here. You, you, you know, she's sans rock, man. He doesn't say that, but, you know, he's basically saying that. Um, and then the best part of the movie is when he devises this scheme to hire a male prostitute to sleep with Jason Bateman's wife so that uh, that can be an excuse for Jason Bateman to sleep with Mila Kunis. Um, and uh, uh, during the process of hiring uh, the, the uh, male prostitute, who's uh, basically this teenage kid, um, Jason Bateman has cold feet and he's like, I need the guy's number. We got to cancel this. And uh, in, in the, the grand tradition of, you know, like, uh, you know, William H. Macy and Fargo, he, he doesn't have uh, the kid's phone number and he doesn't know his last name. Anyway, I love uh, Ben Affleck in that movie. I love his greasy hair. It's one of his best roles. And uh, he's, Dean is awesome. He's a great bartender, too. Never seen Extract. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great pick. I. It was it was one of the ones that that immediately popped it in my head too. But I mean, it's I mean it's not Mike Judge's best movie, but I mean it, it is a fascinating movie in its in its own right. And yeah, Ben Affleck popping up in there is definitely. High you high. would like it, Terry. It, it it's I, I mean it's re- I think it's great. It's kind of a great movie, very underrated movie of the of what late two thousands or early twenty tens. I can't remember, but it's it's awesome, and he's awesome in it. This was right before Argo. This was right before he got back on the map. I love kind of D list Ben Affleck. That's my favorite Ben Affleck. Well, and wasn't this kind of billed as the uh, as Mike Judge's return to office space form, too? Yeah, well, I mean, it was another workplace yeah. comedy. I remember when this came out. Yeah. All right. 
Let's uh, let's see here. Number three, it's me. Number three on my list. I'm going with a, a movie that Todd said earlier was crap, but I'm going with it anyways. And uh, I haven't seen Cocktail, but I have a soft spot in in uh, there for Coyote Ugly, and so I'm going with Maria Bello as Lil. Uh, there's a lot of options to go with there, but I mean to run a bar like that and uh, and have it have it be legit. Uh, and I, I'm 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 surprised I'm the one putting Maria Bello on the list, and Todd is like just completely trashing the movie and saying that it could never even be considered because well, it's garbage. Full disclosure: I've never actually seen it. You've never seen Coyote Ugly? No, oh. but it's not supposed to be any good. And I'm not sure I could actually fully say I've seen Cocktail either. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a wee too many martinis while you were watching Cocktail? I just don't know if I actually watched it. <laughs> okay, I've never seen Cocktail, but uh, but no, it, it's it's not bad, and it get, it gets crapped on a lot as as just being this bad movie. But I mean, it, it's it's fine, and and uh, honestly, I think it was the first thing I ever saw Maria Bello in. Uh, so uh, and, and you hate it's, a history of violence. What? And you hate a history of violence. Well, yeah. Which makes it funny that you're actually putting her on the list. <laughs> I mean, this is what I mean, when I saw her in a history of violence. It's oh hey, it's the it's the owner of the bar from Coyote Ugly. Like she owns the bar. She's not just one of the bartenders. She owns the bar. So is she actually a bartender though? Well, yeah. She runs the. She works the bar too. She works the bar and owns the bar. That was a very serious question that I had because there were several bar owners who I contemplated putting on my list. But I never, if you didn't actually see them tend the bar, I disqualified them. So is she actually on screen tending bar? Absolutely, yeah, she is. And, and, then, and then she hires like Bridget Moynihan and Tyra Banks and Piper Parabo to, uh, to dance on the bar while she's still tending it. Yeah, yeah. To, to the Leanne Rhymes song, yep. That's the only thing I know yep. about the movie, is the song. John Goodman's in it. I mean, there, there's that. It's it's a fine movie. It's 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 one of those, like, guilty pleasure. It's just kind of like, it's not high art in any way, but it's an enjoyable watch. <laughs> Understatement there. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a fun watch. I, I It's better than F9, let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> oh... I'll put it. I'd say it's better than F nine. You give it three stars. Did I? I don't know. I might give it. I mean, that's. Better. It might be two and a half, but just a better two and a half. I'll 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 look this up. Todd, go to number three. My number three comes from a movie that you guys like a lot more than I do, but there is one character that stands out for me, and that is from Crazy Stupid Love. It is female bartender played by Heather Lobella, because she is like me. She has the exact same like passive aggressive passive-aggressive judgmental tone towards Steve Carell's character when he asks what time is it or you know she, she is like uh do you want another one he's like what time is it and she's like it's 2 30 in the afternoon and he's like <laughs> thank you for the judgmental tone cocktail servant and he's like wait so, sorry for being a dick yeah she's gonna spit in my drink and now you would normally think that someone who spits in someone's drink would do it in like a cocktail you know like something that they're not gonna notice but like you know that they're ingesting your saliva and you so you feel better than the cocktail or the, the asshole customer or whatever. But she has the audacity to spit in his shot glass. And so he clearly knows that he's drinking her spit. And he almost like chokes it up. He's like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, she's spitting that. I mean, props to the bartender. I mean, and she's probably the most attractive bartender I've ever seen in the movie. And but and, I've never Yeah, been... you definitely have not seen Coyote Ugly. Well, <laughs> 
I've never I've never seen that attractive a bartender in real life either, but I've never oh, been okay. to a bar okay. that fancy because that is a pretty fancy okay. bar. Okay. But I um, mean she's an awesome bartender and yeah, she definitely is like me if I was a bartender. So it's really funny that you mentioned that because I vaguely remembered a bartender from Crazy Stupid Love, so much so that I even popped in the Blu-ray to it, but I couldn't find the scene with any bartender. I, I, I was like, come on. It's got, I was like watching the bartender scene. I see him complaining about end. Kevin Bacon. Where's the bartender? Where I can't remember where she shows up. Well, it, yeah, it's near the end because like, uh, Ryan Gosling is, like, shows up when he, uh, when he, after he says that, and then she comes back with, and then he has a com- conversation with him. And then, yeah, then he drinks a shot when he walks off when he's pretty much just like, I'll never give you my, uh, my, my blessing or whatever. And then he drinks the shot. I vaguely remember this, but not really. But I know you guys I, I've, love I, this movie. I've seen it, I think, one and a half times. I, that, that... That's more than I've seen. I've only seen it once. I need to watch that movie again. I, Because I, I did love it. And and it's like, at the bottom of almost all of our top ten lists. And so it's like one of our top movies of that year. Yeah. But it's just because all of us, none of us hate it. I think that's really what it is. And it's like, none of us hate it and all of us like really like it. And so it like was like barely cracking our top ten. Like all of us were like, you know what? I'm gonna be cool and be the one that puts this on our top ten and like ten or nine. And then it that's, got to on enough of our lists. Last year. That, that, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's uh, that's what happened there. So, uh, yeah. Okay, Zach, number three. All right, number three. I went to the world of television for my pick, which was allowed on this list. Um, and I went to maybe my favorite show of all time, which Terry has not seen. It is The Sopranos, and the character is Adriana La Serva, played memorably by Drea De Matteo. Now, when Adriana starts out on the show in season one, she's a pretty minor character. She's really just introduced as Christopher's girlfriend. But over the course of the show, she becomes a really significant character. She acquires um, the Crazy Horse Bar, which Christopher gets uh, from, from a bunch of dudes uh, with a gambling debt. And I believe it's season two where she has the episode where she actually goes to Hesh and tries to have like start a record company with those terrible uh, musicians. Do you remember that episode, Todd? It's like the song has like the sounds of uh, uh, cats in it, like meow. Uh, it, it, it's a hilariously awful music. One of the funnier Soprano episodes. Um, and then, of course, by season three, she gets infiltrated by the FBI. And for about really three seasons, um, a lot of the show focuses on her relationship as a mole for the FBI and uh, her just, um, you know, trying to hide it from Christopher and uh, dealing with the FBI agents and all that. Um, she's amazing on the show. I don't want to spoil too much, but basically her finale um, is the single best episode post season five because season five and six of the sopranos are kind of garbage but but her finale shall we say is the best moment of the last two or three seasons of that show now it did raise another question for me which is since her boyfriend is michael imperioli are we considering spider in goodfellas a bartender because if we are i feel like he needs at least an honorable mention i don't really think of him as a bartender per se but he does serve drinks so i was kind of torn with that character he was on my honorable mentions. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would consider him a bartender. Well, I mean, if you're talking him, as a, I don't know that they actually own that bar, though. So, I mean, that'd be like considering, you know, um, <clears throat> Dr. King Schultz as a bartender because he operates the bar for him and, and Django. <laughs> but, but like, that, that's like his, his job for the group, though. I don't know. 
Or who? Yeah, I also, like 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 John C. Riley and Boogie Nights. I was contemplating putting him on the list, but he but he just <laughs> he's just an informal bartender. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of layers to this drink. list. Can you at least but agree with me to go that, that Adriana is a great pick? I mean, she's a, she's a great bartender. She's also a slam and slew banger, and she's one of the best uh, elements of that show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good pick. I, I actually didn't include any TV because, I, like, that would have been my whole list if I was actually going with the top five. There are, it, do, it does seem like there's more bartenders on TV than there are in movies, or at least more more substantive ones. Yes. All right. Number two on my list. Um, <clears throat> I'm going with uh, Dwayne the Bartender, played by Devon McDonald in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, this is the guy who who makes all the all the frilly drinks for for Peter near uh, near the beginning, and when he's like doing his like Sex in the City impressions and and things like that. And then and then he's he's tending bar. He kind of pops up here and there, kind of throughout, but he's tending bar when when Peter's there with the uh, with the um, the uh, Jack McBrayer character and, and they're talking about like fish and he's the one that's like, I know all kinds of fish. I grew up in South Central. Then I moved to Hawaii. It's like, well, what's the state fish of Hawaii? Humu humu nuku nuku apawa'a. Yeah, bitch. Uh, that, <laughs> I mean, for that line alone, he has to be a top five bartender and, uh, he, he's, he's the best. He's the best bartender you could possibly run into. So, uh, anyone who can be buddy, buddy that much, with the patrons in his bar is uh, is worth mentioning. So so Dwayne the bartender for getting Sarah Marshall, and I just love that movie too. That was not one that I would have thought of. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, all right, all right, Todd, number two. Uh, my number two. Uh, this lady is a part-time bartender, part-time mechanic. It is Sway from Gone in 60 Seconds. Of course. We had we had to mention Sway cuz you have you have to work twice as hard when it's honest. Which sort of reminds me of like Paul Giamatti at the end of Win Win where it's like it's the end of the night thing that he does just to get by because he needs like another job. But she's amazing though, you know. It's like like Nick Cage is like you look good. He's like, "Well, you look like a Bible salesman. You're healed. You're healed." Uh, can we improvise our, uh, yeah, sure, I got a Cutlass 422 in the back. We can strip it down and shine the hood. What do you say? <laughs> oh, that's not what I had in mind. Oh. Well, I mean, I mean, she's having this, like, personal conversation with Memphis, and then this, like, jerk customer is, like, hounding her about having an another shot of whiskey. And then How she about that drink? She plays it off, yeah, she plays it off like a pro because she's sway, and she's awesome, yeah. I mean, how about that drink? I, I quote <clears throat> that often you know <laughs> memphis pays for the drink and she's just like yeah screw this guy i'm drinking i'm drinking this shot anyway so i mean yeah it's a great scene in a great movie swaying gone in six seconds I, i'm glad it was mentioned it, I'm, I'm glad it was mentioned not on your list though it's not on my list no but it it, it, it needed to be mentioned for sure I kind of forgot about the idea of characters who moonlight as bartenders, like Paul Giamatti and Win Win. That I, I that was almost a, a total blind spot. So now I'm wondering if there are others. I as completely well. forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. All right, Zach, number two. Yeah, but I mean, Gone sixty seconds and The Deer Hunter. I think yeah, I'm I'm glad we at least got those out of the way, so we can really see what number one is. Um, okay, my number two is uh, from uh, Fargo. And it is Bane Bulky as Mr. Mora. Merlot? You can't pick Fargo. Why can't we? Uh, I'm, I'm picking Fargo. No, just go ahead. We have one rule. That's, we have one rule. 
I, I say let's get rid of that rule it, because you know, Mr. Moore. It's really changed to uncut gems. I mean, really. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. We all know and love Mr. Mora. He works at Edmund and Swedlands, which is by, is it White Bear Lake or Moose Lake? Who really cares? It's by a, a lake. And uh, when Steve Buscemi comes into the bar, uh, you know, he says, uh, he's going crazy out there. And, and uh, uh, he, he says, where can he get some action? And uh, Mr. Mora says, what do I look like? I don't arrange that sort of thing. Oh, you think I'm a jerk for asking? Only he don't use the word jerk. And then he says, the last guy who called him a jerk is dead now. What do you think about that? And so I say, that don't sound like too good a deal for him. And that guy is dead. And I don't mean of old age. Anyway, uh, Mr. Mora is a classic character. He is in one shot of the movie. He is like um, coming off the bench, draining threes. Uh, Mrs. Mora also strong MVP caliber because she actually calls in um, the the report to the police. Uh, Bane uh, Bulky has has only been in three other movies, and randomly he was a director of a documentary in 1984 about the therm- the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So shout out to Bane. <laughs> Uh, great performance, great actor, and a great bartender who we never actually see as a bartender, but he definitely tends bar at Swedland and uh, oh, Edmund in Swedland. If we were to do a list of like the best, you know, Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller, minor characters, he might be on my list because uh, that that just one scene and that monologue with that accent, uh, it's one of the Cohen's best, just little random side one scene characters. End of story. <laughs> end of story yeah end of story uh and <laughs> so uh i also think bane um having only made three movies one of which was about diedrich bonhoeffer is pretty interesting too but i say let's get rid of the fargo rule because there's, there's too many good things in fargo i i i can't that's the reason why we created the rule it could be on every list. It was on it. Like the first three lists were like all like. That's what created the rule. Is the first like three lists we made as a snow as a, movies. We had yeah, snow city movies, dark comedies. Yeah, dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the first three power rankings we did were lists that Fargo would have been number one on every list. <laughs> How about one mulligan per year? This is my mulligan for twenty twenty one. Until you forget again. Uh... <laughs> The guy who still doesn't know how our trivia works. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So, all right, my number one. So when I found out the TV was an option, I, I I had to go with the TV for number one. And the question wasn't necessarily, you know, which show was I going to go with? It was, which bartender from Cheers was I going to go with? Oh, that's not the direction I thought you I were mean, going. I mean, because you could go, you could go with Carla, you could go with Diane, you could go with Rebecca, Woody, Coach. But when it comes down to it, it has to be Sam. Sam alone is the greatest bartender of all time. I'm, and I, you have this this whole show which lasted like forever. I mean, this show lasted ten or eleven seasons, something like that. And the premise behind it is so fascinating for a sitcom in that you have a guy who is a former baseball player who is a recovering alcoholic and like lost the rest of his career because of his alcoholism who decides his second act of his life is going to be to buy, own, and operate a bar. 
it, it's such a fascinating concept in itself of what Sam does. And at the same time, he's an amazing bartender and and it always makes sure that everything is fully stocked, makes sure Norm has as many as he wants. And uh Yeah, it it, it I it was like, well, if we're going bartenders and TV is a factor, it's cheers. Just which one? I, I could have just done my whole list being cheers, but I, I I just picked one and that's Sam. So Sam's my number one. Where'd you think I was going? I thought you were going with Nick Miller from New Girl. Oh, that's a good one, too. That is a good one, too. I didn't even think of that. That's on my honorable mention, by the way. That's a good one, too. Sam's better than Nick. Well, Nick is... I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I, <laughs> you, you've watched Cheers a lot more than I have, so... Alright, Todd, number one. My number one is a movie I don't even know if you guys have actually seen. It is uh, Jim the Bartender from The Invention of Lying... Which is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. And yes, I I don't, I mean, I don't know how Ricky Gervais actually made this movie because like, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's only in like a scene or two. And I think Ed Norton is in the movie too as like a cop or something. But like, he clearly has a lot of fans in Hollywood. Like he has, he, he somehow was able to get these stars in his movies. But Jim the bartender, he's dressed more like a chef than he is like a bartender and he is a super sarcastic guy, but he's also a really good friend to Mark, who is played by uh, by Ricky Gervais. And, like, there's this whole thing where uh, Mark first finds out that he's able to lie. And he's like, look, I am a one-armed German astronaut. And then, uh, and then <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, when's your launch date? You know? I mean, like, it's a, I mean, it's a great scene. There, he's got a couple of scenes in there. And it was one of the first things I thought of was, like, what what random bartender could I come up with? I was like, oh, yeah, Philip Seymour Robin in the Invention of Lion. I don't even like the movie, but he's exactly the kind of bartender you want if you're out day drinking somewhere. So, that's, I had, it had to go number one. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, we mentioned him a lot, but, yeah. Number one. I've seen that movie, and I have no recollection of Philip Seymour Hoffman bartending in it. I have to go back and watch it. I actually have the DVD. So, I, I yeah, wow. I should go back and watch that one. It's kind of a crap movie, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, I don't even give it a thumbs up, but it was... I give the bartender a two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that what a great bartender should do? You know, rescue you from a shitty movie, or a not great movie, and elevate the, the rest of it? Well, there are a lot of movies where a guy goes to a bar in the middle of the day because they're having a shitty day, and the bartender is like their best friend because they're like they're out there day drinking, you know. And yeah, that's Jim the bartender in, in the invention of lying. Very nice, very nice. All right, Zach, number one. All right, well, if you were mad at me about Fargo, let's just gird up your loins because you're going to be mad at me for number one, and that is, I have to go with it. Patrick Gallagher as Gary in Sideways. Now listen, Gary is a bartender, okay? <laughs> He's mentioned as a bartender in the book. He's mentioned as a bartender in Paul and Thomas's audio commentary. Paul says he's the you bartender. You read the book. And if you look at the drinks behind the shelf, it is a wide variety of cocktails, <coughs> right? And potent potables. And Gary, thank you for potent potables. I was going to say it if you didn't. 
You don't have cocktails behind you in a bar. You have alcohol. You have liquor. What waiter you, not... throws some drunk guy out at three in the morning? That is not a wait staff's well, job. That is a bartender job. So Gary is a bartender. Gary uh, at the Hitching Post. And let's also remember that um, Sideways, which also happens to have the greatest movie car of all time, has the greatest bartender of all time. And Patrick Gallagher went to acting school in Canada with Sam. O, and he's a mixture of Japanese, Russian, native, and Serbo-Croat, according to the audio commentary. Yeah, I watched the scene again because I knew Todd was going to give me shit for it, but Gary is a bartender, and he's the greatest bartender of all time. I can't see Gary the bartender anymore without thinking about Coach Tanaka from Glee, because he had a fairly, fairly prominent role in season one of that, which neither of you have seen, but oh well. Uh... I would agree that he's probably a bartender, and I'm glad you went back and like double checked to make sure that he had some hard liquor behind him. But that's not what he said. He said he had cocktails behind him, which makes no sense. No, it, yeah, it's that, hard that. liquor. It's like Bacardi. <laughs> it's like um, Grey Goose. It's like actual shit. There's also a painting of a cowboy behind him too. But uh, you know, he's he's a he's a bartender, and um, yes, he's the greatest one. I feel like that should have been a trivia question when we deep dove sideways. There's a picture of what behind Gary? <laughs> I should have had that. I did trivia. I should have had that as a question. We're going to deep dive it again. We, we probably will. We need to deep dive Episode 200. this again because, like, and that one, like, I didn't even watch the same version you guys did, if you remember. That was our first deep dive. <laughs> was it Almost Famous the first deep dive or was it Apollo 13? It was Almost Famous. Okay. We also need to do the Uncut Gems uh, deep dive again because there were several points we missed in that as well. You're right. You're right. It's it's been it's been a year since we've deep deep divin. Still haven't come up with a good word for that. No, we haven't. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, that's our list. Let's uh, go to some honorable mentions. I've got a few listed here. Um, I've got uh, Danny Trejo and From Dusk Till Dawn yeah. uh, listed here. Razor got... Charlie. Mm -hmm. That was on my list, too. I've got uh, Cheech and Desperado. Just get all the Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino stuff out of the way. Uh, I do have Spider from Goodfellas. I've got uh, uh, Margot from Gone Girl, uh, Ben Affleck's twin. Um, yeah, mm. uh, she's pretty awesome. And then uh, I've got Kenan Thompson in the last call sketches on SNL. Um, when it, It's always like Kate McKinnon and whoever is hosting end up making out because they're the last two in the bar and it's like look at you you look like to you're the only other one here mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and uh, keenan is the best at reaction faces and so it, it gives him just an opportunity to give all the reactions he possibly can so keenan in the last call sketches on snl that's that's on there too so those are my honorable mentions todd what do you got well my tv ones that i could have mentioned were nick miller um Dennis Reynolds and the rest of the gang in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, mm. Butchie and The Wire, Al Swearingen in Deadwood, who, I mean, he's like pimp, bar owner, you know, like he has the every, I mean, he's, he's everything in that, and he's obviously one of the greatest characters ever. Tara and Sam Merlot in True Blood. I also had uh, Jay, which is Sid Haig in uh, Kill Bill Volume 2. Another 
and I uh, Razor Charlie in From Dust Till Dawn. Another Rob Rodriguez one, Katie in Sin City, who pretty much mm. exchanges, you know, like free drinks for kills by Marv, I believe is what, how it works. And the other one is the club bartender, is how they're billed in Knocked Up, who doesn't punch Seth Rogen in the ear for reaching over the bar and grabbing a beer. Because, you know, he could have punched him in the ear, like you said, the last <laughs> one at that bar did. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, Zach, honorable mentions. I went uh, Rachel Garrison, played by Jordana Spiro on Ozark. Nick from It's a Wonderful Life, even though he's an asshole. Sasha from Casablanca. The bartender in Speed who gets Jeff Daniels drunk. Uh, Mo Sislak from The Simpsons. I can't believe not, no one mentioned him. Mo. Oh, yeah. I, I, I forgot to mention him. I have him written down, too. Uh, Joe on Grey's Anatomy, who none of you will know because you don't watch Grey's Anatomy. But Joe actually f- uh, features prominently in the show as both a victim um, in several episodes and uh, someone that the doctors all go to uh, his bar and commiserate in. Um, I also went with the chick bartender in 25th Hour. Now, 25th Hour is an interesting one because I also thought about picking Brian Cox, um, who owns a bar, but he's not necessarily seen in the bar. And then Edward Norton at the end of the movie apparently becomes a bartender when he flees the city and goes to Nevada and runs away. So uh, you could just put 25th Hour on there. Uh, the guy in Braces in Magnolia, who, who uh, William H. Macy is in love with, um, Dingham in The Departed because the world needs more bartenders, and he probably became a bartender. Um, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> Reed, Reed, Reed Rothschild in uh, in uh, Boogie Nights, Uma Thurman's cousin in, in Beautiful Girls, Hillary Clinton on uh, Saturday Night Live, and, oh, screw it, I'm just going to put her on the list, Wilma and Fast and the Furious. Now, she wasn't a bartender, but I would imagine that she probably served drinks at some point in that uh, little dive off the highway. So she, I'm, I'm going to put her on the list. Why not? I, I think uh, Dignum in The Departed is our first, like, probably became one because of a random throwaway line in any list that we've ever had. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. All right. <clears throat> it is time now. Oh, no. Let's, before we get to Adam's list, uh, let's go through ours uh, five to one just to throw it, just so everyone gets the recap here. So I'll go first. My number five is The Bartender from X-Men. Number four, Gary the Bartender from uh, The Big Lebowski. Number three, Maria Bello's character in Coyote Ugly. Number two, Dwayne the Bartender in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Number one, Sam Malone in Cheers. Todd. Number five, John Welsh from The Deer Hunter. Number four, Charlene Fleming from The Fighter. Number three, Female Bartender from Crazy Stupid Love. Number two, Sway from Gone in 60 Seconds. And number one, Jim the Bartender from The Invention of Lying, which would be the only time we ever mentioned this on this podcast. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach. Uh, number five, uh, the cockatoo bartender in Jackie Brown. Number four, uh, Ben Affleck as Dean in Extract. Uh, number three, Adriana Laserva, played by Drea De Matteo in The Sopranos. Number two, Mr. Mora, played by Bane Volke in Fargo. And number one, because he is a bartender, Gary the Bartender in Sideways, played memorably by uh, Sandra O's um, acting schoolmate, uh, Patrick Gallagher. All right. All right. Here we are now, guessing Adam's list. Let's see how we do. I'm going first here. Here's my list here. Number five is Nick from It's a Wonderful Life. Number four is the bartender from The Shining. 
Number three is the Cantina Bartender in Star Wars. Number one is Mo from The Simpsons. And number one you is... You just said two number ones. What? You just said number one twice. Uh, did I? <laughs> yeah. Good grief. Number two is Mo from The Simpsons. Number th number three is the Cantina Bartender. Number two is Mo from The Simpsons. Number one is Marion from Indiana Jones. Yeah, we have almost the same predicted list i have number five <laughs> dean in extract number four woohoo from star wars number three mo from the simpsons number two marion from raiders of the lost ark and number one lloyd in the shining all right i have woohoo from star wars number four lloyd from the shining number three razor charlie from dust till dawn number two the octopus in who framed roger rabbit and number one, one of the bartenders, I don't know which one from Leaving Las Vegas, but I'm just going to throw it out there. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Here's his list. Honorable mentions. He's got Mo from The Simpsons movie. I don't think he knew that we could do TV. I even texted him that the other day. Well, his email to me with his list says bartenders in movies. So, anyways. Uh... Natalie from Memento. I think that's the Carrie Ann Moss character. Margot. Mar. What? Okay. Margot from Gone Girl. And Harley Quinn from the one good scene from Suicide Squad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right, number five Woo Her, Star Wars, Cantina. A no nonsense type of guy who just wants to serve Jabba the Hutt the perfect drink. Also, ask his guests to leave their droids outside. He doesn't serve their kind here. <laughs> um, number four, the octopus from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Head, bar head bartender of the Ink and Paint Club. He can whip up several drinks at once while he continues to dance to the club music. Okay. Number three is Gary from The Big Lebowski. Head bartender at the bowling alley. The dude plays at... Uh, he's always there to listen to the dude's stories. Also one of the only people the dude actually calls dude in the movie. He must have the dude's respect then. So the dude <laughs> calls him dude. I didn't even think of that. That's a good call. Uh, number two is Marion Ravenwood from Raiders Lost Ark. Head bartender and owner of the Raven. She has a heavy pour and can still outdrink any patron of her establishment. And number one... <laughs> It's Lloyd. <clears throat> okay, it's Lloyd from The Shining. I won again! But, uh, all right, so the, the, I, I love Ad, Adam's typing here. So he didn't say this is number one. He said this is number exclamation point because he, <laughs> he hit the shift key. And then he said it's Lloyd from The Shining because he put two ends in The Shining. Anyways, oh head, bar, head bartender of the Gold Room at the Overlook Hotel. Lloyd may not say much, but will keep the whiskey coming as you share your life story. Yeah, I think getting three right and having his number one and number two right is the champion, and that you is did here. get number one and number two right, and I got another one right, and I got <laughs> yeah, I got three right, and but one of the four, one of the other ones we didn't get right was on my list, but I yeah, I think getting one and two right, <laughs> gosh dang it, I think you get the point. Of course, I get the that point. was one of my best showings. We had the basically the same list. That's true. That was my 31 and a half win. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I did... There was one list. I don't remember which one, but there was one list that went five for five. That should have been worth five points. I'm just saying that. I mean, you still would be in third place. 
<laughs> well, now you'd be tied for second, actually. Now that I look at it. <laughs> no. Give me the score. Give us the score. I have 31 and a half. Zach has 22, and Terry has 17. That was literally almost a spit take. <laughs> <laughs> you still uh, would be in third place. So you probably got a point for that, so you probably oh, got a four more. All right, so Todd wins again. Gosh dang it. All right. Trivia time. All right, I won. The, something I did win. I, went, I won trivia a couple weeks ago, so I got to assign you guys stuff. So we are going to start with Zach. Report to us on what you watched. All right, I had to watch Band of Brothers because I think Terry has been telling me to watch it for probably about 18 years. Um, and, pretty much, uh, pretty much. Yeah, since, since I met him. Actually, yeah, so if the, <coughs> have 14 years, however long we've known each other. Um, for some reason, I haven't... Yeah, before you get started, before you get started, just to kind of throw this out there. Coming out this next week, we are doing a deep dive episode by episode of Band of Brothers. It's going to be called The Almost Sideshow, and it's going to be featured on our podcast uh, feed. It's going to be featured on our YouTube channel. Uh, check it out. If you have seen Band of Brothers and love it, watch it. If you haven't seen Band of Brothers, go watch Band of Brothers. It's on HBO Max, and then uh, and then listen to our, our analysis. It's going to be me and Adam uh, talking everything about Band of Brothers uh, so, yeah, that was my hidden motive behind picking it, is to make it a plug for our new our new uh, kind of side project that we're doing along with the, the podcast. Coming out Tuesdays and Thursdays, moving forward for the next five weeks. Okay, Zach, go ahead and tell us what you thought. Okay, uh, it's, it's interesting watching this 20 years after its debut on TV. At the time, it was the most expensive um, TV miniseries uh, ever made, uh, $125 million. And, of course, 20 years ago... The idea of a miniseries being that expensive, being that high profile with Tom Hanks as a producer, um, it was pretty ludicrous. Um, so it was uh, very much kind of outside the box thinking. Um, I think TV miniseries have evolved since then. One of my criticisms of it, I'll get just out of the way, is that I, I feel like I feel like it's a little too conventional at times. I feel like this is kind of like standard sort of training. So first of all, I'll clarify. I've only watched the first two episodes. So it's only a partial view that I have. But I will say that um, I wish that the series was maybe a little bit more innovative in how it structured its narrative. Um, I, the, the training sequences to me are kind of standard by the book. The first episode kind of looks at how Easy Company is assembled um, in a flashback sequence, uh, flashback sequences um, in training sequences in North Carolina and in Georgia. Um, the first episode deals with David Schwimmer as their uh, lieutenant or commander or uh, drill sergeant. I can't quite remember, but basically uh, he is someone who is usurped by the rest of the, the crew because they don't really have any faith in his leadership capabilities. The second episode is uh, the lead up to the invasion of Normandy, uh, easy, easy company landing in Normandy, but basically the hours leading up to uh, the invasion on Omaha Beach. Um, you know, I got to say, like, it's, it's interesting to watch it from a production value standpoint. Uh, it is also interesting watching a lot of these actors uh, kind of who uh, weren't particularly well known at the time, you know, namely uh, Damian Lewis, but also like uh, Donnie Wahlberg and a few other people um, in the cast. Um, I didn't love it. I, it's not really my thing. I got to say, I'm not a huge war uh, genre uh, person. I find I kind of feel like um, you know Saving Private Ryan in a lot of ways was uh, a, a more compelling product because the characters were a little bit more identifiable, and I also got to say that I I 
was a little bit distracted because the first five minutes of each episode were basically interviews with survivors of uh, Normandy and of World War II. And I thought, God damn, that's amazing. I would actually rather watch two hours of these old guys basically talk and recount about their experiences uh, rather than this kind of um, drummed up sort of theatrical um, experience. And, you know, I know I'm probably in the minority in that, but I just feel like this is, you know, the documentary treatment is the stuff that we haven't seen before. Saving Private Ryan, we've already seen before. So um, I get it. I've only watched the first two episodes. I also, I didn't like the excessive uh, killing of a horse. And I also didn't like the call out to Eugene, Oregon. Why does the German POW <laughs> got to be from Eugene, Oregon? I'm just saying that's, you know, that's, that's kind of a low blow. Um, anyway, uh, I feel like it's kind of similar to Terry assigning me the first two episodes of the right stuff. Uh, assign me TV series that don't have the first two episodes about training sequences, but uh, I'm sure it does get better. I'm sure it's a monumental uh, TV, uh, you know, event. Um, I just, I feel like if they were to make it today, though, I, I feel like they would have spent a little bit more time um, on the character development and maybe making it more about the character backstories rather than just kind of throwing everyone in there at one time and just uh, kind of their interactions, but without having a lot of context for who the characters are. But like I said, maybe, maybe it goes more into that as the series goes on. Yeah. And, and again, we, we go into this in a lot of detail in, in the, in the deep dive that we're going to be doing. Uh, yeah. The first episode, it kind of throws everybody at you and you kind of have to learn a little bit. You learn a little bit about everyone, especially in that first scene when, when, David Schwimmer's character Sobel is is kind of going around the group and and calling them all out. Uh, and as you go along, each episode kind of focuses in on one of the main major characters, and and you learn a little bit more about each one. Like episode two does a whole lot with with Winners, Damian Lewis's character. One of the things I I found interesting, and uh, looking back on it twenty years later, because it is celebrating its twentieth anniversary is just how many recognizable faces there are in this that were no names then. Like, um, you have Damian Lewis, you have Ron Livingston, you have, um, you have Michael Fassbender is, uh, is a minor character in, or, or even in the first episode. Um, Tom Hardy, Jimmy Tom Fallon. Hardy pops up. Jimmy Fallon pops up at one point. Scott Grimes is, has been in a lot of things. Uh, Michael Cudlitz has been in a lot of things. In the second episode, you get an appearance by uh, Andrew Scott, who's been in a bunch of things. In the third episode, you get... Um, or not the third. The fourth episode, James McAvoy pops up. And you get all these stars before anybody knew who they were, which is kind of fascinating, and it shows just kind of the talent they got. Um, I, I, when I watched this, I was hooked by the first episode and just the character development. And um, and just David Schwimmer. I mean, David Schwimmer is just insane in, in this. And so un-Ross in 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 it and unlike anything you'd expect from him and and i also like the the seeing the other side of d-day i can understand that a, a war pick like this would not necessarily be be your cup of tea but i'm glad you at least saw the value in the production of it and uh and if you keep watching you'll get to di dig a little deeper into each character uh as you go along like the third up the uh, not, the, not necessarily third episode. The fourth episode is is focused entirely on Michael Cudlitz. Uh, the fifth episode is focused more on Damien Lewis, and it kind of goes through and focuses on individual characters uh, throughout the rest of the rest of the show. And and just the the fact that this is a true story, it, and and it follows a, a real company. By the way, the the interviews at the beginning aren't just World War II survivors; they're actual survivors of Easy Company, which is pretty cool. And uh, and yeah, so. It's one of my favorite 
pieces of film like of all time and uh so at least you've gotten to start it hopefully you continue maybe you listen in on our on our shows as we're going through and you watch along with us yeah and it's not it wasn't an indulgent pick i mean obviously it's a it's a historic tv series landmark uh tv series would you agree with me though that you would watch a two-hour film with just those old survivors giving testimony no cutaways there is like it's on the DVD. Like th- there is a documentary on the DVD with those guys. Like, yeah, in the box set, there there is a documentary about that. I want to watch that. That to me is compelling. I that is it called? What's it? It's called the Men of Easy Company, isn't it? Yeah, what's a Something longer like title that. than that? But that, yeah, that's yeah, the Men of Easy Company colon something. Yeah, their descriptions are stand alone together. The Men of Easy Company. Yeah, that that yes yes. However, it's it, it yeah. I, I I love the actual the actual stuff, and no matter what Damien Lewis does, uh, he will always be he will always be Dick Winters to me. All right, Todd, I actually don't know what you watched because I gave you two options, well, I and you were gonna not... pick one of them, or you were if you could get access to one, you're gonna watch one. If you're gonna watch the other one, you. Or, and if not, you were going to watch the other. So, what did you watch? Yeah, well, I wasn't able to watch... I don't remember what it was called. I'll just call it Stonk. It wasn't Stonk. It was the other one, right? <laughs> Elling. 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 Okay. <laughs> well, so, I watched Hamilton. Hey! You watched Hamilton, Zach. I got him to watch Hamilton. Which is better than In the Heights. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but, again, okay, so the, the issue with having new characters spit out so many words so quickly, you lose perspective of what you're being shown. And so, I know that the sets are like this, like, Dogville kind of bare setting. But why is it even on stage? Why isn't this like a record or something? And I know that like going into the movie, so many people had already heard the songs and they had already seen the show or something like that. But I hadn't. So I don't know. I mean, I had a little trouble keeping up a lot of the time because, uh, I mean, just like I did within the Heights. But I mean, not as much. But uh, but I mean, it, it's still it still is not easy to follow when you're going through this for the first time. You're like trying to hear the words and then process the words and then they're already on to the next words. But some of the actors, especially Manuel Miranda, are not good. Like they're like Manuel Miranda is kind of bad Whoa. in this. Like he he's reciting his lines and he's way too proud of his work. Like when he's like he's even popping in like, oh, yeah, that's actually true. I wrote that. It's actually true. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 really dumb, and he's incredibly corny, and he's the weak link in the whole thing. But he's the main character, which is kind of a problem. But the songs flow a lot better than they did in, in the Heights. If it's actually a movie, it's way too long. Like, could there be, like, every other scene be speaking? If this is actually a movie, then why couldn't they have adapted it just a little bit? It's like, I get it. It's like, okay, calm down. You can sing and rap. Just tell the story. And I don't have a lot of enthusiasm for a movie... That is, like, begs you to watch it twice to actually be able to understand it. Like, I mean, this is in the same... It puts it in the exact same way that Tenet was last year. Um, but, I mean, something's holding it back from being, like, actually great. But, I mean, and it, I, I guess I suppose, like, ha, ha, like reading a history book and imagining it like that sounds admirable. But I think it's more like insanity than it is genius. But at the same time, I actually kind of respect that. Like, Lamar Miranda is a talented writer. I just don't think he's a good actor. The best actors in it are David Diggs and Chris Jackson. Uh, they are absolutely the best part. They emote better than anybody else, and they their songs were more stuck in my head than anyone else's. Than like all of the big orchestrated pieces, like the, there's one. Their like solo projects were the best ones. Philippa Sue, I I think is really good at singing, but she overdoes it and has no dynamics. Just the same way she did in Over the Moon, which is why I give that movie a thumbs down. 
the last song I think is great, and that that sort of like leaves you the last damn packet. It brings everything together. A couple songs are stuck in my head, but that was definitely one of them. And it, it's definitely something. I don't think it's actually a movie. It's overrated, but it's not. It's better than in, in the Heights. It's more compelling than in the Heights, and it's more like a concert documentary than it actually is like an actual like narrative project. But if I have to rate it, I guess I'll give it three stars. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're giving a thumbs up. That's that's good. I mean, Lin Manuel Miranda's bad. Okay, I can't. Okay. No, you're right. Yeah. Well, you could you could see him thinking through his lines because he's not an actor. He's a writer. Like you could tell you could tell that he's not actually acting. He's reciting, but he's doing it in song, so it doesn't. So it's supposed to look better than it actually does. Well, and like the arrogance you said, I mean, that's that's Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton was an arrogant part of our history. So I don't know. I your shout out to David David Diggs and Chris Jackson is totally warranted. I they're they're amazing. I would also say Leslie Odom Jr. belongs in that list. Um, and I always thought the weakest link was Philippa Sue uh, of the whole cast. Um, I thought um, Renee Elise Goldsberry was better. I'm glad you liked it. I I I, th- I think you're not necessarily as much of a music musical type fan as Zach and I, so probably that's why you don't see the masterpiece that that we see. Because Zach, Zach, you you agree with me that Hamilton's like a masterpiece, right? Well, here's the problem I have with Hamilton now, Terry, which is that I cannot watch Hamilton and not think of COVID. That, that will, it will, forever, <laughs> will forever ruin the experience. Like, I was watching it the other day and thinking, oh, wait, I can actually go outside after this movie ends. I can actually go, like, to the grocery store, can't I? Uh, so it's sort of a strange kind of psychological association that I will now forever have with that movie. But, uh, no, I mean, I'm glad to, I, I'm glad you watched it, Todd. And I get, Todd was the only one of us that had a musical as his number one last year. So I, I think, actually, Todd is quite the musical connoisseur. And... Uh, I don't know if it's a movie or not. I didn't consider it a movie necessarily, but um, I think it was, in the moment, it was the perfect movie for 2020. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. We could go into that more, but anyways. All right. Trivia time. I've got some categories here. Let's let's see how this goes. All right, so um, it's going to be... We're going to start with some stuff kind of similar to what I did last time I hosted trivia. This is going to be kind of Oscars-focused trivia here. Um, this is... Uh, th- th- this seems to be a time of, uh, of celebrating 10-year anniversaries. I know Zach just uh, last month celebrated his 10-year anniversary with his wife. This last week I celebrated my 10-year anniversary with my wife. Um, and it's kind of a completely separate thing, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. Uh, this weekend, Kyle Seeger hit his 10-year professional debut mark. I mean, uh, hey, there, there's a lot of 10-year stuff going on. So our first category is focused on 10s, and we're going to go to the 10th Oscars, which was 1937. 1937 movies at, nominated at the 1938 Oscars. So we're going to do it like we did last time, where uh, we look at we're looking at the major categories... Picture, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, director, assistant director in 1937, <laughs> uh, adapted screenplay, and original story. 
You just have to name the movies. If you name a movie that was nominated for an Oscar in one of those categories, you get a point. If that movie also won one of those Oscars, you get a second point. Alright, so, two points for na naming a winner, one point for naming a nominee. Uh, let's see here. Zach won the last time I hosted and did this, so... Todd's going to go first. There are 18 movies that were nominated in one of these major categories. Okay. 1937 movies nominated at the 1938 Oscars, which were the 10th annual Oscars. Todd, give me one. I think, I think the winner was The Life of Emile Zola. The Life of Emile Zola was the Best Picture winner. It also was nominated for Best Actor. It won Supporting Actor. It was nominated for Director, Assistant Director, Adapted Screenplay, and Original Story. I don't really know how that worked, but it did. <laughs> um, so Todd gets two points for that. Zach. The Good Earth. The Good Earth was nominated for uh, Picture. It won Best Actress for Louise Rayner, and it was nominated for Director. So you get two points for that. Todd. Star is Born. A Star is Born got nominated for a bunch of stuff. And uh, it was nominated for picture, actor, actress, director, assistant director, adapted screenplay, and one original story. So you get two points for that. Zach. Uh, which Spencer Tracy movie do I go with? I'm going to go with... <laughs> Captain's Courageous. You went with the right one. It, that's the one Spencer Tracy won, and it was nominated for Picture and Adapted Screenplay. Two points for Zach. Todd. In Old Chicago. In Old Chicago, one supporting actress and assistant director, and was nominated for Original Story. Two points for Todd. Oh, and it was nominated for Picture, too. Missed that one. <laughs> Zach. Oh, goodness. I might be out. Uh, Grand Illusion? The Grand Illusion was not nominated. I think that was the next year. Todd, it's to you. Okay, do you have any more? I don't, I, I don't think I have a Snow White. I don't know if that was nominated for screenplay. Nope, it was not. It was not. So let's see here. The things that you guys missed. Uh, let's see here. Black Legion, Camille. Conquest, Dead End was nominated for Picture. Uh, Lost Horizon was nominated for Picture. Night Must Fall. 100 Men and a Girl was nominated for Picture. Souls at Sea, Stage Door was nominated for Picture. Uh, Stella da Dallas was uh, nominated for a couple. The Awful Truth was nominated for Picture. And One okay. Best Director. That's a good one. And The, hur the Hurricane and Topper. The Hurricane, Thomas Mitchell. I mean, it's not a year unless Thomas Mitchell, a Thomas Mitchell movie gets a nomination. Okay. Topper. Wow. So Todd is currently winning six to four. Uh, moving on, we're going to do another year here. And for this year, we are going to talk about one of the other, like, major stories, I think, in entertainment this week. And that was the end of the 28-year run of Conan O'Brien on late night television. Uh, I've always been a Conan fan. I find him really funny. 
um, and and silly, and but he just I, I just always completely got his brand of humor. Anyways, he started at late night in 1993, so we're looking at the films of 1993 at the 1994 Oscars. It nominated the major categories, so 1993 movies, 1993 picture, actor, actress, sporting actor, sporting actress, director. Original and adapted screenplay. There are 17 movies that were nominated that year. Zach, you're first on this one. Schindler's List. Schindler's List, obviously. Got picture. One picture. Nominated for actor, supporting actor. One director, one adapted screenplay. That's two points for Zach. Todd. The Piano. The Piano is correct. Nominated for picture, one actress, one supporting actress. Nominated for director, one an original screenplay. Two points for Todd. Zach. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Philadelphia is correct. One best actor for Tom Hanks. Nominated for original screenplay. Two points for Zach. Uh, the Fugitive. The Fugitive. Nominated for picture, one best uh, supporting actor. Two points for Todd. Zach. What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love Got to Do With It? Nominated for Actor and Actress. One point for Zach. In the Line of Fire. In the Line of Fire. Nominated for Supporting Actor and Original Screenplay. One point for Todd. The Age of Innocence. The Age of Innocence. Nominated for Supporting Actress and Adapted Screenplay. One point for Zach. Uh, in the name of the father. In the name of the father, nominated for a bunch of stuff. Picture, actor, supporting actor, supporting actress, director, adapted screenplay. One point for Todd. Fearless. Fearless, nominated for supporting actress. One point for Zach. Aren't you going to say Rosie Perez? Come on, she's the best. Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez, absolutely. Remains of the Day. Remains of the Day. Nominated for Picture, Actor, Actress, Director, Adapted Screenplay. Correct. Shadowlands. Shadowlands. Nominated for Actress and Adapted Screenplay. Correct. What's Eating Gilbert Grape? What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Supporting Actor. One point for Todd. Leo! Uh, I might be out of it. Uh, like water for chocolate. Nope. All right, Todd, do you have any more? Shortcuts? Shortcuts, nominated for Best Director, yes. anymore uh that was that was the only one i had at the moment all right so what you have left here is uh dave was nominated for original screenplay uh stockard channing was nominated for six degrees of separation uh sleepless in seattle got an original screenplay oh, yeah, nomination and holly hunter was a double nominee for the firm mm. all right we'll call it good at that with a score of 15 to 12 
Todd wins. That sounds about right. <laughs> I think I would have predicted that Todd. Seven. I would have predicted Todd would have beat me by that score too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this up now with quote of the day. Todd, you won trivia, so you get the first shot. Uh, well, I mean, I was I was gonna quote. Fast and Furious 6, which is my favorite in the franchise. It's an exchange between Hobbs, which is played by The Rock, and Riley, which is played by Gina Carano. Uh, Hobbs is like, Shaw's in London. And then Gina Carano says, let's go pick him up. And, and Hobbs goes, woman, you don't just pick up Owen Shaw like he's groceries. You want to catch wolves, you need wolves. Let's go hunting. <laughs> and I feel like that describes basically every Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> Since 3. <laughs> Uh, nice, nice. All right, I'll go next. Uh, so I've got a few things here. I mean, once I started talking about Cheers, I've got to quote some, do some Norm quotes here. I've done this before, but it's, it's worth it. Um, so he always comes in and has a great one-liner. So one time he came in and, uh, and Woody says, Hey, Mr. Peterson, there's a cold one waiting for you. And he says, I know if she calls, I'm not here. Um, and then, then my favorite one is uh, he walks in and Woody says, pour you a beer, Mr. Peterson? And he says, all right, but stop me at one. Ah, make that 1.30. <laughs> I like that one. And that, But the line I, I actually had written down to quote was quoting Dwayne the Bartender from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's talking to Mila Kunis's character about Peter, Jason Siegel's character, and he says, he's like Gandhi, but better. He likes puppets. So, <laughs> there you go. Zach, Zach, finish this off better than I did. All right, my quote comes from Bo Burnham Inside, and it's from the song <laughs> Comedy, which wow. is the opening song in, in it. And uh, the line is, I'm white and I'm here to save the day. Lord, help me channel Sandra Bullock in the blind side, healing the world with comedy, making a literal difference metaphorically. And yes, most likely they'll pay me, but I'd do it for free which is also how I feel about this podcast, especially since I have to edit it, which is going to be fun. If anyone else wants to edit it, uh, be my guest. Maybe I'd pay you. I actually watched Bo Burnham Inside this week. What? And you didn't review it? What? No, I forgot. I forgot to review it. It was awesome. It was awesome. He jumps around so much, it's a little hard to follow at times, but, but all the songs are just ridiculously amazing and the the production value of him just locked in a room by himself is pretty incredible how long did white woman on in, white woman's instagram take him to shoot that's what i want to know that had to be like three months yeah yeah and all the filters all the backgrounds all the lights it's it's an amazing production that is as theatrical and as detailed as any major special effects driven movie and of course way better than f9 there you go. There you go. All right. Well, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. I, I don't think so. Wait. Nope. We haven't. We haven't. But close. Close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, make sure that you uh, check out all our stuff all over the place. Look for the Band of Brothers Deep Dive coming out this week. Uh, and uh, we'll be back at you next week with uh, episode 133. Until then... Have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.